0: Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. Uh, I am so excited to be here this morning as we close out the book of Ruth. It has been, uh, for me, an amazing journey over the last couple weeks as we reflect on stewarding relationships. And if you're not familiar with the word stewardship or stewarding, it just means that we're managing something that's been given to us, right? God has given us these relationships, and we want to be good stewards of that. We want to manage those well. So we've been talking about how we can build and maintain healthy relationships, and we've been following the story that's laid out for us in the book of Ruth, as we do that. Um, this morning, uh, I think we can all agree that relationships can be complicated. Men, don't, I'm going to stop you. Don't say amen, because if you do, you're going to get your wife's elbow in your ribs. But, but I think we can all agree that whether it's marriage or with our neighbors or people at work or friends or even within the church, that relationships can be complicated. Can we all say amen to that? Yeah, it, they're complicated at times. Sometimes they're, they're tough, and, and there are things that come up that don't make sense. And what we're going to see this morning through Ruth chapter 4 is that even in the middle of complicated relationships, there can be a relationship that redeems. So this morning, we're going to talk about redemption through relationship, and we're going to see that in chapter 4. And real quickly, I just want to get everyone caught up. So the book of Ruth opens with a man named Elimelech living in Israel, and there's a famine. And so he moves with his wife named Naomi and their two sons to the land of Moab, who are their enemies. While they're in Moab, Elimelech dies. His two sons each marry a Moabite woman. And then 10 years later, before they're able to have children, the two sons die, leaving the three widows. Naomi, the oldest, says, I'm going back to Israel. You you girls, come on, let's go. Along the way, she says, you know what? It's probably better you stay here. One of the women says, I'm staying. The other one, Ruth, says, Naomi, I'm going with you. She comes back to Bethlehem, and all the people say, look, this is Naomi. Come back after 10 years or more. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. Naomi means pleasant. Call me Mara. That means bitter. The Lord has made my life bitter. While she's there, she has Ruth with her, and Ruth knows the law of the land is that God's provision for the poor is that they are able to go out into the fields and glean behind the harvesters so they can pick up anything that's dropped or anything that's left on the stalk. And that's their provision for the poor. So she says, you know what, Ru- Naomi, I've got to provide some food for us. I'm the youngest— Uh, The only able-bodied one able to go out, I'm going. And she goes and she gleans. She ends up in a field. The Bible says she happened to end up in a field of a man named Boaz, who's a kinsman redeemer, happens to be a kinsman redeemer of Naomi's family. Now, this kinsman redeemer is simply someone who's near of kin uh, that would be able to marry Ruth, right, the the dead man's wife, the widow— uh, and keep the land that would have been passed down to that man in the family, right? Because the women weren't able to to own the land at this time. They, they would have to sell it in order to provide for themselves. And so Boaz happens to be one of these people. And Naomi knows this and she says, look, Ruth, keep going back to his field and hopefully something will come of this. He's going to take care of us. Well, the end of the harvest comes and nothing's happened. So Naomi says, look, we've got to move this faster. We've got to do something here. And she tells, she tells Ruth, she says, you're still wearing your widow's clothing, take that nasty stuff off and put something on that's a little bit nicer. Make yourself presentable. Go take a shower. You've been out in the field. You kind of stink. Make yourself nice. And tonight, while he's on the threshing room floor, go and lay down at his feet so that he'll know that you're, you're wanting to pursue marriage with him and he'll have the chance to say no without you being embarrassed in front of the whole town. So she does that and she goes, she lays at his feet and he says, whatever you ask, I'll, I'll do it. You know, what you've asked, I'll do it. I'll take you in as my wife, but there's another man who's closer. He's got dibs, right? You guys remember that from second grade? Dibs, shotgun. It's like calling shotgun. So this other guy has first opportunity to marry Ruth and buy the land, and Boaz says, I'm going to take care of this, what you've asked for for a redeemer. I'm going to make sure that it happens, and so Ruth goes home to Naomi, and Naomi says, look, The man says he's going to take care of it. You can rest assured he will not rest until the matter is settled today. And that brings us to chapter 4. In chapter 4 we open up and we find that Boaz um, goes up to the town gates in chapter 1 and he's there and he's waiting for this kinsman redeemer to come along, this other family member. So Boaz is there at the gates. Now the gates are an important place because this is where all legal business takes place. This is where everything on the up and up takes place and it's also where the elders of the community, the respected men of the community would sit and wait for people to come and ask their counsel. They would, they would come and just say, I need your help with this. Can you help me through this? Or they would hear trials and different things that were taking place in the community. So Boaz is there, and he's waiting for this man to come along. And the man happens to come along. And Boaz says, hey, friend, come on over here. And so the guy comes aside. And Boaz begins explaining the situation. And he says, look, we've got some, some land for sale. that Naomi's selling this land that belongs to Elimelech, Malon, and Kilian, her two sons. She's selling it. Right, But you have the chance, as a a near kinsman, to buy it and redeem it. And the guy's like, more land for me? Well, sign me up for that. Who wouldn't want that? Who wouldn't want more land, more chance to make a profit? But then, Boaz explains, well, hang on a second. It's not just Naomi that you're taking in, but you're also taking in Ruth the Moabitess. And look at what the man says in verse 6 of chapter 4. Verse 6 of chapter 4, he says... Flipped over one too many pages there. He says, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. So what's happening here? The man says, I can't redeem it because not, if it had just been Naomi, she's old, she can't have any more children, but Ruth still has the potential to have children. And so part of the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer was that if he and this woman that he marries have a son, That son bears the name of her first husband's family. So this son that would be born to the kinsman redeemer in Ruth would carry on the name of Elimelech's family. And not only that, but because technically this son would still be this other man's son, he would give an inheritance to the boy as well. So not only would he be buying this land that wouldn't be his anyways, he would also be giving away part of his own estate. And he says... I can't do it. I can't do it. It's too costly. Here's the first thing we learn about redemption through relationships. Redemption through relationships are costly. Redemption through relationship is costly. It's costly. This man says, I I can't do it. It costs me too much. But Boaz was willing to pay that price. Boaz knew that the right thing to do was to take care of this family, to take, take care of Naomi and Ruth and to provide an heir so that the the name of Elimelech would go on in the land. So then we have in verse 7 this explanation. The man takes off his shoe and gives it to Boaz. And there's an explanation that whenever there's this this legal transaction that takes place in the land, that uh, when you're selling land, someone would take off their shoe and hand it to the person they sold the land to as a way for everyone to see that, okay, this just took place. You see a guy holding someone else's shoe, you know that he just legally bought someone else's land. Other scholars say this is a way for him to say, I have right to set foot on that land, right? So it's, it's very symbolic. But there's something else going on here with Boaz that we see. We see that a redeemer must act willfully, purposefully, and faithfully. And we see all of this in Boaz. We see all of this in Boaz that he acts willfully. He's more than willing. He says, I'm willing to redeem it. He acts purposefully, right? He had a plan set out. If you remember back to chapter 3, when Ruth comes to him and says, marry me as my kinsman redeemer, he's already looked into the fact that there's another kinsman redeemer that's closer. So he's acting purposefully. He purposefully lays out the case to this man in a certain way so that the man doesn't look like a complete fool saying, no, I'm not even going to redeem it. But then he says, oh, by the way, don't forget about Ruth, reminding the man that, hey, you're going to have to provide an heir for this family as well. So he acts purposefully, and then we see that he acts faithfully. You go back to chapter 3, verse 13, and he says, what you've asked I will do. Right? He makes that promise to Ruth, and then you read later on that Naomi says, when the man says he's going to take care of it, he will not rest until the matter is settled today. That's, that's acting faithfully. He's acting faithfully. And, and lastly, we see uh, that he acts unselfishly. Remember, the other man says he can't act because it endangers his own estate. But let's see what, what Boaz says in verse 9, <clears throat> Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have brought from, bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, her husband, Kilian, and Malon, her two sons. I've also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife. And and here's the unselfish part. In order to maintain the name of the dead with this property, so that the name will not disappear from among the family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. So he's saying, look, this is not about me. This is not about me having more land. This is about this man's family and his name being able to continue on in the land. He's acting unselfishly. Can we all agree on that? He's acting unselfishly. What a, what a beautiful picture for us to, to try to follow that in all of our relationships, right? Something to think about is that as we build relationships with people, that number one, it's costly. It costs us something, right? It costs us time. It costs us emotion. It costs uh, cost energy. All of those things. And, and when we do that, we have, to be, um, we have to be willing. We have to be purposeful. We have to be faithful. We have to be unselfish in building those relationships. The next thing we see, uh, we see this in a couple places throughout this passage, is that redemption is a legal transaction. So we're actually talking about the act of redemption that's taking place here. You go back to chapter 4, verse 2, we see that it takes place at the gates. Right? Do you remember what we said takes place at the gate? All the legal business. So this is on the up and up. This is a good thing that's taking place. You go back to verse 7. And it explains that in earlier times in Israel for the redemption and transfer of property to become final legally, uh, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So what we see is that this is a legal transaction that's taking place. And there's a couple things I want to note from this. Is First, the law had to be fulfilled and not bypassed. We've talked about this in previous sermons, but this was a time of spiritual and moral decline in Israel. Boaz could have very easily, when Naomi came to him, he could have very easily said, you know what, I will take you to be my wife. I don't care about this other guy. Everyone else is is doing their own thing. I'm going to do my own thing. Come on, come be my wife. Let's, Let's get married today. But he says, no, there's a law, and we need to fulfill the law and not bypass it. The next thing we see is this. The, the completion of the redemption is announced and witnessed. Verses 9 through 11. He, he calls the elders. He gathers 10 elders. You go back to the beginning, it says he's gathered 10 elders so that there's basically like a jury that's serving as witnesses to this. And he announces beforehand. He says, you all are my witnesses to this transaction today in verse 9. And then he completes the transaction and he announces it he says look you see that i have bought this land i've got the man's sandal in my hand you all are my witnesses and they go on and they say we are your witnesses look at look at what they say next and uh, following in verse 11, then the elders and all those at the gate said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, uh, who built the house of Israel together. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you may, through this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, who was an ancestor uh, uh, of Boaz, Perez, whom Tamar bore Judah. So we see all of these connections to his ancestors and through these families who were also prosperous. And the people are saying, you know what? You guys are are such noble character, both of you. You go back to chapter two, Boaz is introduced as a man of, of standing, as a man of noble character. Over and over again, Ruth is is talked of as a woman of noble character, and they're saying, especially in this day and age, we need more people like you. Have more kids. We need more people like you. Have lots of kids. We need people like you. I wonder what our neighbors would say about us. <laughs> uh, just a side note. So the completion of this transaction is of the redemption is announced in witnessed. Think about it. Today when we buy a house or we sell a car, what do you do? You sign papers. You have witnesses. You've got to have things notarized over and over and over again. And, and you have to have a witness there who watches you actually sign the papers. And they witness that you do it. And then you put those, those into public record. And that's what's happening here with Boaz. He's like, put this on the record. You guys are my witnesses. You're my notaries. This is done. This is a complete deal. The last thing we see is this. Redemption through relationship is transforming. Redemption through relationship is transforming. There's been a transformation in Ruth's identity, her position, and her status. Her identity is no longer as the Moabitess. She's no longer this poor woman that everyone looks, looks down on because of her. She's a widow because she's poor, because she's not part of Israel. She has a new identity as the bride of Boaz welcomed into the family of Israel. She has a new position in society, right? She's no longer that beggar. She's she's now a person with a position because of this redemption. People are looking to her saying, we want more people like you. We want more women like you. Give us lots of kids. And then lastly, we see that uh, she has a new status. She has a new status, and, and that's related to the other two. She's now married. She's now in a, in a position where she's looked up to rather than looked down on, all because of this. She has a, a place where she's provided for and she's safe. But not only that, but we see that Naomi Naomi experiences redemption through this. Let's keep looking at verse 17. So Boaz takes Ruth into his house, and they're married. Uh, and then everyone comes to... to um, to them after they conceive and have a child. Remember that Ruth was unable to have children for 10 years with her previous husband. She didn't have kids. And then in uh, verse 13, it says, then he took her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The literal translation there is that he gave her conception. God gave her conception. God gives her a son. He blesses her with that. And all the women are so excited for Ruth and Naomi and Boaz verse 15 they the women tell Naomi they say he will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given birth to a boy they're saying like the ultimate blessing that you could have as a Hebrew family would be to have seven sons to carry on your name and they're saying Ruth is better than seven sons can't you see that can't you see that Naomi she's better than seven sons Not only because of the way she's taken care of you, but because she's been faithful and she's provided an heir for your family. She's provided the son. Verse 17 says this. The women living there said, uh, said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed, which means worshiper. Think about everything that Ruth and Naomi have been through, and they named their son worshiper. One who worships. What an appropriate name. After all of that, after the redemption that's taken place in their lives, that they would have a son named Worship. Let's keep going. So they name him Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, King David. Now flip over with me to Matthew chapter one. Before we look at this verse, I just want to say this. Last week I was sitting with some friends um, at the coffee shop where I go. Some of them are believers. Some of them... um, probably have not been to church in a long time and, and they don't know Christ. And they were asking me what I was preaching through and I, I told them about the book of Ruth and, and they said, well, tell us the story. So I start telling them the story and as we're going through it at the end, one of the guys says, man, that is a complicated story. Like, why would God do it that way? Why couldn't he have just made Boaz the nearest kinsman? Why couldn't she just have married Boaz in the first place? Like, Why do we, why do we have to go through all of this? Because... Sometimes God has us going through complicated situations, complicated relationships for a reason. We're going to see that here in Matthew chapter 1. Because amazing things come out of complicated relationships. Relationships that lead to redemption. Matthew chapter 1 verse 1. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of who? David, the son of Abraham the son of David, who was the son of Jesse, who was the son of Obed, who was the son of Boaz and Ruth. God has, if you go through the, the book of Ruth, we don't have time to go through the, over and over again, but you're going to see this phrase that it happened again, or if you read commentaries about it, it doesn't always uh, come across in the English, but there are things that just happen, right? The, Ruth just happened to be in Boaz's field. Boaz just happened to come to the field that day. She just happened to find him on the threshing floor. He just happened to be available. The other kinsman redeemer happened to come by that day. All of these things just happened, right? That's kind of irony. It's like sarcasm on the part of the writer saying, look, God's hand is involved, involved in all of this. These things didn't just happen. God planned it this way. God planned this complication so that out of it, we could have the most beautiful story ever told the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ, through whom we have redemption through relationship. Let's look at these points again. Redemption through relationship is costly. Redemption through relationship is costly. What did our redemption cost God? What did our redemption cost God? It cost God his Son, Jesus Christ. Many of you are familiar with John 3, 16. For God so loved the, that he his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life through Christ Jesus. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says this, For you know that it is not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Think about that. You were redeemed, you were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. Redemption through relationship is costly. Next we see that a redeemer must act willfully, purposefully, faithfully, and unselfishly. All you have to do is glimpse through the Gospels and you see that this is true of Jesus Christ. But there is a passage that I think sums this up um, better than any other. And that's Philippians chapter 2. And we've referenced this verse a couple times throughout this series. Um, Some of these verses, beginning in verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interest, but also to the interest of others. Your attitude, this is the key, This is the turning point. Your attitude should be the same as that of Jesus Christ who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above all names that at that name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Can we proclaim that right now? Jesus Christ is Lord. Please say that. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's worthy. He's our redeemer. He is worthy of us proclaiming that truth. Because it cost him his life because he was, willf- he was willing, because he came with a purpose. God purposed the time and the place that he would be born because he was faithful, right? He was faithful in carrying out all that God asked him to do, even death on a cross, and he was unselfish. He was unselfish. We see that very clearly in this passage in Philippians. Now again, some people say, why, why go through all this trouble? This is complication. Why couldn't God just say, you're all redeemed. I forgive you all. Go and sin no more. Why couldn't it have been that easy? Why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Remember, redemption is a legal transaction. Redemption is a legal transaction. And we see this in uh, the fact that the law had to be fulfilled and not bypassed. Right? God couldn't just bypass the law. Because he is God, he is perfectly just. He's perfect in all of his attributes, one of those being justice. And that means that because of our sin, there's a penalty that had to be paid. There's a penalty that had to be played. He couldn't just overlook it. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died in our place. He died in our place, and he satisfied the law. He fulfilled the law. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. And when he hung on that cross, and in John 19, there, verse 30, he cries out, It is finished! It's finished. Not I am finished. It is finished. What is it? The redemption of all mankind. It is finished. Complete. The word there is tetelestai in the Greek. Back then in Jesus' day, whenever you would have a bill that would be paid off, you'd pay off a bill, that word tetelestai would be stamped on the bottom meaning paid in full. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross and he says, testelestai, it is finished. Your redemption is paid in full by my blood. And then we see that that redemption, in order for it to be legal, the completion of it is announced and witnessed. It's announced through testelestai. It's completed it's finished, but it's announced again at the resurrection that not only are the legal requirements completed, but the whole prospect of this action is done. It's finished. God has accepted the payment. That's what the resurrection means, that God accepted his payment. And it's witnessed. It's witnessed by the women at the tomb, the disciples at the tomb, the the disciples on the road to Damascus. You can read in 1 Corinthians 15 that at one time, over 500 people saw Jesus, his resurrected body, appear. They were witnesses. What does Jesus say in Acts chapter 1? You will be my witnesses. If you've experienced redemption, The forgiveness of your sins, salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, through that relationship, you are a witness to the reality of this. You know what it is to be forgiven. You know what it is to be redeemed. Last thing is that redemption is transforming. Redemption is transforming. And there are passages throughout the New Testament. Um, If you're taking notes, I encourage you to grab your pen. I I want you to write these down and look these up later. We don't have time to cover them all, but, but the first one is this. 2 Corinthians 5.17, that through faith in Jesus Christ, we are a new creation. We have a new identity, just like Ruth got a new identity in her marriage through Boaz. Colossians 3.3, our life is now hidden in Christ with God. So what does that mean? That means when God looks at us, he doesn't see the filthy, wretched sinner that we are. He doesn't see our sin. For those who've placed their trust in Christ, instead, he sees his perfect son, Jesus Christ. That's why we're able to have a relationship with God. Next verse is Galatians 3.26. Galatians chapter 3 talks about us being adopted as sons of God. Adopted as heirs with Christ. Can you think of anything better? Last one is is Colossians 3.10. That we put on a new self which is renewed in the knowledge of our creator. In the knowledge and image of our creator. So we're renewed day by day. Our redemption should be transforming. It should transform us. And it should transform our relationships with other people. There are people in our lives that each and every one of us know who are in need of salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And we have opportunities to (coughs) to invest in those people, to invest in those relationships, that they may come to a point where we can introduce them to Jesus Christ and that they could experience redemption through relationship with him. But before we can get to that step, we need to have that relationship with them. We need to have redeeming relationships with them. We need to be good stewards of that. Are you willing to pay that price? It's costly. It's costly. It may mean that you have to give up some of your time, that you give up some of your energy, that you give away some of your emotion. It may mean that you bring people around your family and your kids that you wouldn't normally bring around. And it may cost you some time as you have to go back to your kids and say, look, I know you saw this. I know you heard this. But you know mommy and daddy don't talk that way, and here's why. This person doesn't know Jesus Christ, and we're praying that he would. What an opportunity for you to invest in your kids in that way, for them to see you building redemptive relationships. We've got to be willing. We've got to be purposeful. We've got to be faithful. And we've got to be unselfish. And lastly, if we do this, if we build these redeeming relationships, it'll be transforming for us. It'll be transforming for us. Now before that can ever happen, before we can build those relationships with other people that lead them to a point of redemption in Christ, we must first ourselves be in Christ, have experienced that redeeming relationship. And so if you're here this morning, I just want to encourage you, if you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, or you say, I don't know if I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I want to know how I can do that. How do I put my trust in him? How do I have that redemptive relationship? How do I have redemption through relationship with Jesus Christ, relationship with God? How does that happen? Please come talk to me. Come talk to one of our elders. But I can real quickly just tell you this. That it's through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting that when he said it is finished on that cross that he paid the price for your sin. Simply trusting in that allows you to have a relationship with God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the redemption that comes through relationship with your son Jesus Christ. Lord, that you would send your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place. So that through faith in him, simply believing, trusting that Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead, that we can have our sins forgiven and spend eternity in heaven with you. God, I pray as we, as we go out this week, that you would allow us to see the people around us who are in need of that kind of relationship, that we could invest in them, that we could share our own stories, that we could tell them about what you have done in our life and have the opportunity to see them come to faith in Jesus Christ. God, right now, I know each one of us has at least one person in our life that we're not sure where they are. We don't know if they've trusted you. God, this week, this week, put their name on our hearts right now, please. Give us the boldness. Give us the, the willingness. Let us be purposeful. Let us be found faithful. God, help us to be unselfish that we could go out and share the good news of Jesus Christ with them this week. And Lord, we pray for their salvation right now. We pray that next week when we gather here, there would be more people who have since entered into your kingdom because of their redemption through faith in Jesus Christ which we move to celebrate now through the the observance of communion. We pray all this in your son's name. Amen.